Musician Mindset is a conversation series that extracts the performance and preparation thought process from world-class musicians, leaving you with wisdom and exercises to level up your musical journey. Our guest today has toured and recorded with Scott Bradley's Postmodern Jukebox and is a featured artist on the Dave Cause Summer Horns Tour and Album. The album is currently number one on the Billboard Jazz Charts. In addition to all of that, she has an incredible solo career. Her album Impossible came out last year and debuted at number two on the iTunes Jazz Charts and reached number 13 on Billboard. Last month, she performed with the Boston Pops and she's about to embark on a U.S. tour in a few weeks. There's also a personal connection here because I am her drummer and music director, and we've Yay. worked together for the last six years. In addition to being one of the most amazing musicians on the planet, she's also my boss and one of my best friends. Oh, I was going to wait for you to say friend. <laughs> it's like, you didn't say friend. I know you don't like when I call you my boss. <laughs> we've traveled the world together, and I can say firsthand that you guys are in for a real treat with today's interview. So without further ado, the great Aubrey Logan. You're so nice. Yes, Aubrey. Aubrey. First of all, congratulations on being on a number one album. Thank you. Wow. So, you know, this is our first episode of the podcast. Yes. And when Jason and I conceived of this show, Mm -hmm. you were one of the first people I wanted to have on because we've had a lot of conversations over the years along the lines of of what this show is geared toward performance psychology and helping people overcome barriers to achieve their personal best. Mm. You have an incredible ease and command of the stage. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that... Some of that has been hard fought, and you've put a lot of thought into how you have arrived at where you are now. And uh, so I think you're going to have some great insights to share with people. And to start things off, I want to go back to the beginning of your journey, and I'd like for you to tell us about your first performance. Okay, I thought about this. You did warn me you were going to ask me this question. And I thought about it. Um, This may not be my first ever performance that I'm sharing with you because my first ever performance might have happened before I had memories. Okay. Um, But I am going to share one of my first performances and what I felt and what I thought at the time. So um, the first performance that comes to mind that I want to share about is when I was nine years old and I sang and performed New York, New York, for my elementary school talent show. And I had performed before that on even, I guess some, yeah, professional stages in in musical theater as as a child actor and singer. But this was the first time I performed in front of my peers. Mm -hmm. So I consider it more, you know how we remember emotional experiences more than we remember non-emotional experiences? I think it was more emotional to perform in front of my friends than it was to perform in front of complete strangers. So um, that's the first one that came to mind. I performed, um, it was time for the school talent show and I thought, okay, I have to do it. I mean, I can't not do it. And I thought, what am I going to perform? And I just was so enamored at the time with showbiz. I was so I, I, I had visualizations as a kid being alone in my little only child room all by myself of um, 
kind not not necessarily dancing but moving in a dancey sort of way and communicating a song to an audience i would sit in my room and visualize myself doing that i don't know if that's very self-absorbed and egotistical but it happened nonetheless and um when it was time for the talent show i just had an affinity for show tunes and new york new york is very much a show tune um start spreading the news that one and i i really liked frank sinatra as a nine-year-old in 1997 and um my only because of my parents i can't i can't um say that that came from anybody but my parents because and they weren't even hardly old enough to like frank sinatra but they did too and uh I picked it because I could find the little karaoke tape online. Some, well, no, it wasn't online. On some tape, we bought the karaoke tape to New York, New York. We bought it in the key that I liked. And uh, I remember rehearsing it in my mind probably long before I actually went in the garage and blocked it out and sang it for real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that more than I remember the actual performance. I mean, the actual performance is on video somewhere, but I rehearsed in my head what I was going to wear, rehearsed in my mind um, how I was going to move. I rehearsed the blocking. I've divided the stage into thirds and which third I would be in for this part of the song, which third I would be in for that part, wow, which third amazing. I would be in for that part, which I had sort of wow. learned in practicality from wow. the musical theater, ex- the, the remedial musical theater experience I had right. at the time. Um, I blocked out who I was going to look at, who I was going to look at to sing that line and who I was going to look at to sing that line. And, um, I definitely closed my eyes and, and I guess like kinesthetically tried to feel how it sound to sing it. And then I did it for my friends and I, I guess I remember doing it, but I remember more visualizing it before I did it. I don't know if that makes any sense. Did, did anyone coach you on uh, the power of visualization or you just instinctively did that? I instinctively did that. Uh-huh. Wow. I think it's because as a very young child, even younger, I mm-hmm. had such aspirations to be on a stage mm-hmm. that I was visualizing it already. Mm-hmm. I probably got coached. I didn't get deliberately coached as a kid doing musical theater, but since there was a director and mm-hmm. we were told to block certain ways and we were mm-hmm. memorizing lines, mm-hmm. I was being demonstrated how to visualize something because we had to memorize not only the lines, not only the songs, but also where we would stand, how we would look, how we would interact with the others on stage. It's, it's so rare that I come across people that really use that visualization tool. I mean, it's, you mean, you read about it in, in performance books, um, but to hear like the, the strength at which you did that, that's, that's really amazing. Are you still doing that? Yes. I I didn't put a name to it until probably very recently. I was doing it. So you with didn't that. even realize what you were like. You just, yes. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that's correct. Wow. I think, it, it, I mean, it's that visual. Is that a thing? People call it visualization as oh, an yeah. exercise. Absolutely. Okay, cool. That's yeah, a absolutely. thing. Got it. So I, I've, it's been called different things to me over the years. See, I remember being in, college for example i'm going off on tangents i remember being in college and i had this trombone teacher and i was um practicing trombone so much that my face was getting physically unable to practice any longer because i was practicing like six hours a day and you really don't do that on a brass instrument that's that's what the song i can't feel my face is about right that's playing brass (laughs) yeah probably trumpet but 
And then um, I, so I went to my teacher and I was like, I can't go through this song right now and I'm, I'm physically in pain. And he goes, that's okay. There's so, I remember him saying, there's so much we can learn without playing. Mm-hmm. We can still kind of go through it mentally. We kind of sang through it. Um, we vision, yeah, he said, close your eyes and memorize and, and me- do it for memory and without even playing. And I guess that was visualization or... Yeah. And also mental rehearsal. Mental rehearsal. There's a mm-hmm. lot of value in mental rehearsal. Like if you're preparing stuff and you're just going through it in your mind without even being at your instrument, you can get a lot of value out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. That's really, really powerful. I, I, I've, I've, like I said, reading about that, countless books. Okay. Um, but wow. to hear that it was just like a natural thing is really, really cool. Uh, or have you always been like, like you have a strong imagination Yes, it has gotten me in big trouble. <laughs> yes, um, that's another conversation. But yeah, I've always had a strong imagination. I think I w- attribute my imagination to anything creative I've ever done. Could you take yeah. what what you're doing? Like, let's just take that that beginning uh-huh. um, performance and then yeah. your mental preparation for that. Reflecting back on it now, and then how you use it in your current career, are you able to to give people exercises from what you do that maybe they don't just naturally have that that power to do that is there one or two things that that you can maybe guide them on that they could start honing that skill as well yeah um you're asking me to communicate which is a part of performance isn't it um i would say yeah because i've done it naturally for so long that now i would have to think of a way to bottle it and communicate that to a person i would say if you no matter what instrument you play in whatever band you're in um say you're at a stage where you have the show halfway memorized you don't even have the full thing memorized you don't have to have every detail memorized to sit alone in a room try to remove all distractions and go through the show in your mind from top to bottom with an o- with a with a high bird's eye view meaning you don't have to memorize every hit you don't have to have every lyric down you don't have to have every note down but take yourself through the arc of the show and do it from the perspective of what's the emotional um message you want to convey as a player as a singer as a as an instrumentalist then so that's one exercise take Mm -hmm. yourself through the emotional arc of the show in your mind Mm -hmm. with your eyes closed or not or not um then once you have everything memorized it will be a whole lot easier to convey the emotion of the show from start to finish with all the details down do you know what i'm saying yeah uh, that would be one exercise, I think. I think getting yourself um, out of the mentality of perfection is important because you can still learn how to communicate a message without having every little thing me- um, memorized or or known. And it, at least if you can communicate the message, that's what people instinctively care about as an audience. They might not know that's what they're caring about. They might be like, dazzle me, amaze me. But really what they're after is an emotional connection or a purposeful connection to a message you're trying to a truth yeah a truth yeah truthful performance and i think that's so important that you just talked about 
um, not have not worrying about it being perfect. Of course, we aim for excellence every time, and we want all the notes and everything to go the way that we intend. Yeah. But rolling with the punches, punches if it doesn't, mm-hmm. right? And just focusing on what you're able to emotionally deliver to an audience is far greater than hitting every single note. Because I think if if we put too much pressure on ourselves on every note and executing. Uh, you know all of our mechanics to a to the highest level then we're distracted you know from from the real point of like as you just said communicating and we've probably all seen shows that are technically perfect but you don't care because it doesn't move you or it's exactly it's not interesting it's not engaging um but it's interesting to hear you talk about going through like mentally rehearsing the emotional aspect of Mm -hmm. a show because I so don't think like that at all. Like mm-hmm. if I'm going to mentally rehearse, it's going to be much more technically oriented and things like that. But uh, that's that I think speaks to your job as the front person and as the artist. Like you by far have the hardest job of really connecting with the audience. And that's that's interesting that you think of it like that from the emotional rehearsal. You know. Well, as a collective whole, uh, rhythm section should a good drummer like you should be able and you you do should be able to go with whatever the artist is doing mm-hmm. and and that's but but i guess you're 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 right the artist in a way should be leading the charge as far as what the message is supposed to be for the arc of the show i want to talk about technical stuff guys don't let me forget to talk about the technical stuff because that does matter like in our minds mm-hmm. when we're performing but uh oh i lost my train of thought you were talking about i wrote this down today um, you were taught. Oh, so one of the reasons it's so important for me to commute to rehearse the emotional aspect of a show, and not just emotional, but the purposeful aspect of the show, is because so many times on the road or on stage, one of the variables that can hit you. I'm not talking about nervousness. I'm not talking about being sick. I'm not talking about um, adrenaline one aspect could be you're tired and you're weary and you don't feel any emotions today. And yet your job is to go on stage and make the audience feel something. Mm-hmm. But you're just like, ah, I don't feel it today. It's, it's a normal day. I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I have no emotions today. If you've rehearsed over and over again the emotional aspect of your show, you will convince the audience that you are feeling something and they will feel it too. It's a little bit of autopilot. I know it sounds sad that... Well, don't you find though that even on the days and on the shows where you go into it feeling like that, Mm -hmm. that once you get into it and like even if you look at it as like you're trying to convince the audience of it, don't you find that you end up convincing yourself and like through the course of the show, like no matter how tired I am, by the time we get into it, like I'm totally into it and like I feel better when when we're playing and after, you know. Yeah, like one or two songs in, even sometimes if it's a really bad day, five songs in, eventually. Eventually you get there. You've, your mind has told your body to feel what you're supposed to feel. Um, And just like and then on the technical side if you have not practiced with the metronome the boring stuff that really sucks Mm -hmm. and focused on the non-emotional very much non-emotional aspect of music get it under your fingers get it in your muscle memory get Mm -hmm. it in your hands um eventually 
the, that technical stuff becomes muscle memory autopilot. Mm-hmm. You can do the same with communicating a message just like you can with the technical aspect of the job, which is incredibly important, but we can talk about that. You know, a wise man named Mark Whitmore once said, <laughs> if, you can, if you can learn to fake that sincerity thing, you, the sky's the limit. He said that? <laughs> a long time ago to Billy. No he, way. Yeah. Say that again. <laughs> I, I'm probably butchering it, but he said something, <laughs> something along the lines of, he was kidding, of course. He said, it, when you can learn to fake that sincerity thing, you got it made or something like um, that. Mark Whitmore is my manager, you guys. <laughs> Hi, Mark, if you're watching. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Okay, I got spoken like a true salesman. <laughs> two, two, um, two points to go off of from from what you just said. So let's. I want to talk about musical attention spam. So the this concept of Squirrel. of visualization and practicing that and and preparing mentally for a show requires you to sit down and be quiet, right? And think about this. Do you meditate at all? To and if not, how are you working on your your attention span? I used to meditate more. And that was before I was highly attached to social media. <laughs> um, ever since then, I the meditation exercises have fallen by the wayside. And I am back to relearning how to focus. So I will literally set a timer for one minute. Focus for one minute. What is one and then minute the focus next for day, you? I'll focus for two minutes. Um, remove distractions. I mean, for me, it's a lot of, there's a spiritual aspect to it. I'm, I'm usually praying for that minute or just listening, you know, in my case to God, mm-hmm. but I will actually set a timer because I know I, I need to tell myself, okay, I haven't done this in a long time and one minute is all I can take today. Um, two minutes the next day, three minutes the following day, four minutes the fo- and so on and so forth, so forth. Um, so it's while I sit there with no distractions, no, which really means no phone, let's be real, um, right. and no computer. Um, I will, if I find my mind wandering towards like anything, I don't know, the car driving by, the cat meowing, whatever it is, um, I will tell myself, it's okay, that's natural. It's natural to get unfocused, let's just come back. And, um, I'll keep focusing for that next 60 seconds. And that type of discipline is required to visualize a performance as well. I mean, just like, just, I mean, the discipline to pray, if people do that, is the same discipline it takes to focus on anything else at all. Whether it, with, especially when the stage isn't really there <laughs> or you can't see it. It's not, it's not in front of you. I mean, it still exists because it's over there down the street or where, or across the, ocean wherever it is you're going to go play it still exists it's just not in front of you in a physical way so um your question was yeah about about your, yeah. your attention span how attention do you span how do you grow it i think you grow it the same way you grow any other muscle in your body you just have to exercise it and it goes away if you don't sure have you always had the discipline to to sit down and do things like this i don't think i ever was born with discipline <laughs> I don't, I don't think I was born with any discipline. Mm-hmm. I think I was born with wants and needs um, like everybody else. And I just so happened to want a stage career. I happened to want art in my life. I happened to want um, to sing. And then eventually I happened to want to play the trombone. But um, discipline, no, I, 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 
I would say I'm the antithesis of discipline. I'm not disciplined at all. I, I became disciplined because I realized if I wanted the stage, I had to be disciplined. And if I wanted to play the trombone better, I had to give up something, which was my freedom to have a social life because I had to sit with a metronome in a room. So discipline's a trade-off. You're trading something for something else. It's either I get to eat donuts all day long and be unhealthy, or I trade the joy of the donuts all day long for um, not the donuts all day long and I can be healthy. That's a trade-off. Mm-hmm. Either, yeah. There's, you know, probably, you know me well enough that I keep a lot of quotes on my phone that I like. Yes, you do. And I printed some of them out, and it reminds me of what you just said. Uh, one of the quotes that I've written on my phone, we all have two pains in life, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Discipline weighs ounces or regret weighs tons. Yeah. That's kind of along the lines of what you're saying. It's very true. It's very true. Mm -hmm. So um, what I'm trying to frame this for is people out there that are listening um, and they're like, okay, I understand what you're talking about with the visualization and that I need to sit down and meditate. But it sounds like there's, you keep bringing up this word want. You you want a, a stage career, yeah. and you understand that to do that, you have to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like people out there listening, you have to find your want Yes. to be in the mindset to now do the work that's going to get you what you want. Yeah. So you've always been connected with with the stage and, and that desire to, to be up there. Mm-hmm. So what about people who think they they want to have a stage career or think they want to be a musician or anything like this but they're not they're not feeling that burning desire that you obviously have for that would you think that it's better for them to take some time and and reflect what is it that i really want and then be able to do the exercises to get there yes absolutely i think that um Finding out what you really want takes some sort of meditation mm-hmm. practice as well. Mm-hmm. It can because you need to get quiet enough to remove distractions of not just the phone, but other people's opinions or um, pressures of the world to really sit and go, what do I actually want? It also takes a little bit of courage to think along those lines because you're required to confront um, disappointment when you try to discern what it is you want because you could really want, I don't know, you could really want to be a parent, for example, and maybe that hasn't happened for you. And to confront the fact that you want that, you also are faced with the fact that you aren't yet, and that might make you sad. So being sad has to be okay a little bit. That's, a, that's one example. Or, you know, for me, you know, I've, I've wanted whatever this career is forever, and I've also had to confront the fact that it hasn't gone my way all the time, which is another conversation too, but, um, and you have to confront a little bit of dis- disappointment and sadness when that comes, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And um, you can still overcome that sadness and that disappointment. You probably need to give allow yourself the opportunity to feel it. Um, but then you can even use that in your creativity. So yeah, I think it does require people to confront what they really want. And then maybe 
if they're sitting there really confronting what it is they really want, they might find actually being a performer or a top athlete or a whatever it is I want to be, I thought I wanted to be, might not be what I want to be. And that's okay too. Um, but I think that it does require getting a little bit quiet and getting alone to really decide what it is you want. And then, it, and then afterwards, it does require the help of others. It does require community. It does require other people. But for a second, you got to get away from all the other people. You have to have a clear goal mm-hmm. before you can have an action plan of how to get to your goal. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yes. you're just treading water. Right. Yeah. Has your has your want uh, evolved? Of like, let's just talk specifically about your career. Mm-hmm. Has that uh, evolved from before you turned pro to where you currently are? Yes, absolutely. I think part of that has been as a result of seeing the real world and seeing the truth. Um, I think, well, I used to want to be the winner of American Idol, to be honest. <laughs> then I went on American Idol and realized it wasn't um, everything I wanted. It, it required costs that were a little too much for me. Um, I didn't want to, yeah, it, it, it required compromise that I didn't actually find worth, worth it that um, I perhaps didn't know existed. And so that might change your your trajectory or your wants a little to realize that thing. I think it's really a matter of um, of ignorance, which is fine. Everybody starts out ignorant, um, and then once you find out what's really true, um, you're you're forced to confront. Okay, did I really want that? Um, is it worth it? It's really that trade off again. Is is it worth it? Is it worth it? Um, to me, it is worth it to continue to slowly and steadily grow an audience which when i was a little kid i thought that an overnight success was very realistic and very possible um which i later found out is much more rare than slow and steady growth which and then i also found out that most people most of my heroes had slow and steady growth it just looked to me like it was overnight success Mm -hmm. but it wasn't and there, yeah, there really is no overnight success. It's just that someone comes onto your radar sure. at a certain point in time. But at a certain, if mm-hmm. you go back and like get the backstory, right? Really They've no been doing it thing. their whole life. Yeah. And if there is overnight success, it does exist sometimes, and it's very rare, and it has happened. But that comes with its own set of challenges that um, a slow and steady growth doesn't come with. Right. You don't learn the lessons right. along the way. Typically, typically, yes. Yeah, there's a there's a price to be paid for everything, and everything is right. a sacrifice. Everything. And I wish I could remember the name of this, but there was a on one of our like twelve hour flights. There was like one of uh, this documentary about stand up comedians that I watched, and Chris Rock was interviewed, and he said, you know, the 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 idea was like the sacrifice of being on the road all the time and like the amount that we tour and things like that. Like I have small kids at home and Mm -hmm. that's a sacrifice sacrifice. if you're going to be gone. And basically someone asked him, I'm paraphrasing this badly, but basically someone asked him like, do do you think you're going to like look back and regret being gone so much or like missing your kids like growing up or whatever? And he basically said something to the effect of like, "I, I don't regret any of it because I know so deeply that this is what I'm put on the planet to do. Yes. And that's how I feel about it. You know, like, of course there are sacrifices. Like I miss my family when we're gone and things like that. But I believe so deeply that like, this is what I have spent my whole life wanting to do. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I think that the cost is worth it because I would feel worse if I were to uh, pass up opportunities to stay home. Like, I don't want to be resentful of like not doing things I want to do. So there's a cost in both directions and you just have to make a decision. Exactly. What's, what's more worth it, you know? And it's not like we're on all the time. I mean, it's, it's a trade off. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many directions we could go in. You are <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> this is really awesome. Um, Dave, you want to, you have any questions over there that you want to go with? Yeah. Well, I'll just, I'll just keep w- getting serious and be like, so <laughs> tell me about your childhood. Well, one of the, one of the things that I <laughs> definitely wanted to bring up with you, Aubrey, is yes. another quote that I love is from Esperanza Spalding. She said, have the courage to engage in creative dialogue with the unexpected. Ooh. as a like overarching philosophical statement she about does. how you approach music right yeah. and it was she's talking about playing jazz and, yeah you know just like sure so and i think about that quote a lot to the point to where harrison can like say it to me verbatim say, say it again it, i say it all the time have the courage to engage in creative dialogue with the unexpected right so in other words you're not locked into your expectation of how something's going to go when unexpected things happen, you are able to navigate, you, you, you can have your own creative response in the moment, whether that's your building gets flooded, like happened to Jason here not long oh, ago, no. or whether it's- Sore subjects, yes. Whether it's, um, you know, musically, something happens on stage that you weren't expecting to hear or whatever, you know, you, you don't wanna be so locked into your expectations of how things are gonna go. And I always tell people, you know, you're such a great example of this to me. And I always tell people like when we, when you and I travel and it's just the two of us and we hire local people, mm-hmm. you know what I'm about to say? Yes. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Aubrey, when we, like when we went to Russia yes. and we hire, <laughs> there were so many unexpected things that happened. So, that many unexpected. <laughs> so we're hiring a pianist and bass player in Russia that I don't know if you knew him. And they were great. They were totally great. Yeah. And the whole thing went great. And was, they're great. It was cool. <laughs> but the way you described the approach to people that you're meeting for the first time is you always tell your musicians, yes, I want you to ask for forgiveness, not permission. Oh yes. And I think that's such a brilliant succinct way to sum up how you want people to approach your gig, which is that you want them to feel freedom to take chances, express their own musical personality, right? All of these things. It's not a gig where you get sent the MP3s and learn it like the record and play it like that. No, you want everyone to, inject their own musical personality and you thrive on that and you like that and you don't and even like when when we tour and more or less play the same show night after night you don't want to hear the same thing coming behind you night after night you certainly don't have to yeah you want people Mm -hmm. to be pushing and like exploring and Mm -hmm. like a miles davis philosophy of band leading you know what i mean right you don't want to hear the same thing every night no and so the reason i wanted to bring that up is because i think that that really only comes from your own confidence and security in what you're doing up there. Yeah. Because we all work with a lot of artists who need like a very mechanical, they need to hear the same thing night after night or it like throws them off. Right. So the way I, I think my point is like, it stems from your own confidence in what you're doing up there that you are not going to be thrown off. You're going to get excited by hearing different things. And so just if you could talk about that, where that came from and your, your ability to do that. Well, I could only do that and you could only do that and anybody on our gig could only do that 
because they've done the very monotonous, mundane, boring, horrendous process of practicing the same thing over and over and over again for years and years and years. So that, again, it's the trade-off. Right. Mm -hmm. Because especially as a jazz musician, which I don't consider myself a pure jazz musician. <gasps> Did I just say that? <gasps> oh my gosh. Blasphemy. Um, but especially if you're a jazz musician, yeah, it's a very free art. You go, it's improvised, duh. But in order to improvise, you have to have learned all the rules first, yeah, which, is rules. which is incredibly boring and incredibly monotonous and incredibly painstaking. And they've all done that. All the good ones have done. Esperanza has certainly done sure. that. Yeah. And um, in order for... So I'm a jazz pops artist in the sense that I have written pop songs. Anybody with any musical training hears my songs and goes, oh, that's a pop song, mm -hmm. obviously. But it's played by jazz musicians, so it it on stage... I Yeah, I don't want you to sound like the record. Or I don't need you to sound like the record. I need you to play freely, you know... Um, like a jazz musician, but play the pop songs because right. I wrote the pop songs. Even when we're doing the pop stuff, everyone yeah. on stage is steeped in the jazz world and has exactly. jazz sensibilities in terms of musical interaction and spontaneity and things like that. Right. And I won't go as far to say as we're anything like the Dave Matthews band because we're not. But he, for example, well, it's not jazz, but he's a jam, but it's a jam band. There's and an improvisational there's element. an improvisational yeah. element and they're all like wicked good musicians yeah. who've put in all the work and all the time there's, a, and then I don't want to slam, you know, playing the same kind of song every night and playing the same way every night either. That's a whole other discipline. That's that, a whole other skill. To that's be able a whole to, other skill. And we all, or I do, you know, you I do it all the time. Have gigs like that and there's nothing wrong with it. It's an entirely separate skill to be able to, precisely replicate the same thing night yeah. after night yeah you know and which in broadway musical theater is the goal right by the way yep but um that's not necessarily the goal on a jazz show and well and i just toured with dave cause which i would say is more of that art that particular r&b soul smooth jazz realm is more play the same way every night sure. we don't we're not stretching the songs right. we're not stretching the length of the songs like forms are set forms are set yeah. occasionally we're playing with tracks um and and it's so for it's formulated that show that i just came off of really is formulated so well that the audience reaction no matter what city we're in is like the same joy and mirth every single time and wait till we hit this hit and they're gonna freak out happens every night so that's a different art too because that was a pre that was pre-planned freak out from the audience you know right. that happens every time well pre-planned you you know what the response is gonna we be. know what the response is gonna be yeah. um and so that's a that's an art in itself but it's more pre-planned than maybe our show where we are we're certainly not playing to tracks um, and we might stretch the form. We might add a solo. We might take away something. We might end it early, whatever. We might change the order of the show, you know, on the spot without looking, without talking about it ahead of time. Right. Um, and yet our, the music we're playing sometimes sounds more pop than the music Dave Cause is playing. So it's all very, it's varied. 
Yeah, and not to get down too much of a like musical rabbit hole here, but like <laughs> the interaction aspect. Speaking for myself as a drummer, as a rhythm section player, like mm -hmm. when you're doing the cause tour and like someone is soloing, yeah, you're the um, it's a different kind of interaction from the rhythm section. Like yes, it, it in the R and B thing, even when it's under the jazz umbrella you're not really as free to like be as interactive. You're not, um, you're given more, which is a mindset thing, right? Because you're given more boundaries. So as an improvisational horn player, you're given a set of boundaries. Right. Your boundaries are either very wide, like in the freest sense of the jazz form mm -hmm. or far more narrowed. You have this long, you have 12 bars. You get, you get one chorus of blues. Yeah, say everything you got to say. Say everything you got to say or don't say everything you've right. got to say. Um, yeah. So that's a more mature answer. That's a more mature that. answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but, but you have a set of boundaries. So your boundaries are either big or small and work with them. And know how to work within it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the, the, I want to go with a theme here. We started off the conversation talking about how you used to, you would visualize your first performance, mm -hmm. right? Which you're kind of mapping through how that, that show went. And now you're so okay with just changing things right on the spot, yeah. right? Like down to like, maybe let's do this song. Like, like yeah. that, that used to drive me crazy like <laughs> when, when that would happen in a gig. Now I'm okay with it. Um, so I want to know how you got from being, this is how it's going to go to let's see what happens. That happened from external, I think the first time that ever happened to me was because of external inspiration. So I had the luxury as a very young child to see musical theater in the truest sense of the word, which is very planned, to all the jazz in the truest sense of the word, which is very free. So I came from both extremes. Um, in my history and because I and they're very extreme mm -hmm. I mean if you're on a musical theater show you are cue to cue a, even your lines have the same cadence every night if you come from a very very free jazz background which I did was exposed to very early on no way are you going to be doing the same thing every night no way are you going to be phrasing the same way no way is the rhythm section all three people in the rhythm section going to be phrasing the same way they're not it's varied constantly so for me this middle ground was very natural just because of what I was exposed to um, and I think seeing it played out both ways was what made it so acceptable for me to do it both ways mm -hmm. um, but inside so, so that's the external factor to answer your question the internal factor is I can't go off on a tangent and do something free if I haven't practiced it a very strict way first Got whether it. that's implicit or explicit um like think of an athlete i guess you know uh think of someone who i'm not i'm not a sports person but think of i guess maybe think of football where they are trained to physically have abilities like running fast and tackling and catching a ball and kicking and everything they probably drill those exercises over and over and over again, but when it's time for the game, when it's time to play, and you're trying to beat another team, um, they have to be able to change the plan. They have to be able to do it, do whatever play the coach or the quarterback says to do, which might be different than all the things they've drilled in order to have the ability 
to change the plan on the spot. Right. So it's relying on your the time you've put in. So yes. when you're in the moment, yes. all is good, and then there's no pressure. It's, right. it's very. I work with an NFL player. I coach an NFL player um, on guitar. Okay. And it translates yeah. over to to musical For lessons sure. because there's no fear of failure at all. That is. That took me a while to get to, but yeah. <laughs> and that's something I want, I want to get to, right? But, but it's fascinating to watch this guy learn because yeah. he just adapts to whatever's happening right mm-hmm. there. And then but whatever we're doing in that moment, it's full steam ahead. You know, His I mean? athlete mindset translates into yeah, a musical yeah, mindset. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And yeah. it's really, really interesting to right. see. Well, it's part of how this podcast was born is that Jason and I both listen to a lot of sports psychology podcasts. Yes. Because there is such a correlation. Right. And we you know, basically said we should do the same thing for music. Because sports is performance. Yeah. Right. And music is performance. And it's also right. mm-hmm. a very um, specific, highly trained mindset to be able to deliver your optimum performance when it counts. Yeah. When the pressure well, is on yeah. and to be able to tap into your ideal mindset when you have to, yeah. to, that your mind is trained to that extent to be able to do that. And like one of the guys that Jason and I both love is Michael Gervais, who I've sent you many of his podcasts. Yes. He's the uh, like psychologist for the Seattle Seahawks, mm-hmm. sports psychologist for them. And um, Go Seahawks. one of the things that he talks about is just the awareness that Everyone knows you can train your body mm-hmm. and you can train your craft. Mm-hmm. You, can, you know, you can practice and get, but it's a third and equally important aspect is training your mind. Right. And so he talks about those three things being equal, training your body, training your craft and training your mind. And the training the mind aspect is very overlooked by a lot of people. They just think, oh, well, I've practiced and now I can play and I'm good and I'm going to go on stage and be great. But we've had a lot of conversations about like overcoming all the mental obstacles that, you know, your brain will get in your own way. Oh yeah. You know, and get, and getting to a point to where you have control of your mind. That's really the key. That's really the key. Yeah. So that's, can we go there yep. right now? Let's go. Um, so you, you'd said like when the pressure is on, you know, like, are you going to deliver? So it's one of the things that I'm getting out of the conversation with you here is that, I don't really feel like you have a sense of internal pressure. It's just, it's just okay, whatever happens, like, let's go with it. Let's adapt. Uh, so how do people out there listening, how do they cultivate that? Where, like maybe they have put in their 10,000 hours on whatever skill that they're working on. Yeah. But when it comes to the pressure's on, right, and they have to perform, they can't get over that hurdle. So how, how have you freed yourself of internal pressure to being okay with just, let's see what happens here so that you can be your optimal self? Well, so much of it is belief and what you believe the minute you step out onto a high pressure situation, whether that's the Olympics or the stage. So uh, as a kid, I sang the national anthem at several Mariners games. No way. And talk about pressure. Thank right. you, Seattle. And um, I would go, and this was before anybody had the idea to record, pre-record the national anthem, um, which I which I refuse to do because I think the song's very good and right. I like to sing it. But um, you go into Safeco Field, or in my case, the Kingdom. Yes, I sang in the Kingdom. Yeah. And the sound, there's so. So many, it's not only a high pressure situation, but there's more variables there than there are on like normal stages. 
because the sound is going around this circular building and get hitting your ears gosh a whole entire four seconds later so you're hearing not just an echo but like a complete four second delay <laughs> and this is before inner monitor i didn't have any inner monitors so i had i attribute experience to the success um and i went out there you know when you're a little kid you have fewer at least in my case you have a lot fewer inhibitions so i was blessed to go do that as at such a young age before i didn't run into my obstacles until my teenage years and we can talk about that too Mm -hmm. but that was rough and or my early 20s like those were rough years very rough years but as a nine-year-old singing the national anthem at safeco field i'm like cool i know how to sing i can do this i know how this song goes my belief was i know how to do this right oh cool the sound's coming later it's all right i know where i am in the time because i've spent so much time alone singing this and yeah there are people here yeah my mom's here my parents are here my grandpa's here you know this is different you know it's a big huge place with 50,000 people in here but that's all right i'm really just alone singing the national anthem right there wasn't a belief in other people's opinions there wasn't there was a belief that i knew how to do this that i know what i'm doing right that's the belief so when i encounter um any sort of other belief that comes and sneaks its way in um that's when i have to go to battle a, a little bit so that's happened. I, and I think the best way for people to train their mind to believe something different <laughs> is to just go do it. I mean, singing on a stage is different than singing in a practice room. Performing on a stage is different. There's the more you perform on a stage, the more you will accept that performing on a stage is normal. And the more that you, you will accept that performing in different rooms is quite normal and variability is quite normal um and once you believe that it's normal for things to be abnormal i think it changes everything um confidence and belief or you, you know you you can either believing you're doing what you know how to do is confidence um believing that you are going to fall flat on your face is the opposite of confidence mm-hmm. and um you know, ever since then, I've had to go on stage when there's 10 people in a room that seats 200 and that feels very demeaning. And um, my belief goes towards, oh, this sucks. I hate this. And yeah, it'll show. Or I can go in a room where it's full and then I'm and I'm fine. And I'm singing just fine. And then I see somebody in the audience that I wanted to impress that I think my life is at stake with this person seeing the show. I hope the show does well. Um, and now I've suddenly changed my belief to think, to, to believe that my success depends on this person being impressed. And you're, you're catching these thoughts as they happen. Yeah. I, I, I guess stepping outside your, what makes us human? I have two cats. They don't think outside themselves. They think survival mode constantly, whether if they're running away from something, it's because they think they're going to die if they don't. And if they are cuddling you or you're petting them and they're purring and they're enjoying it, it's because they think this makes me feel good. I'm going to serve whatever makes me feel good. I'm a cat. A mm-hmm. human can observe their and own thoughts. Some singers are like that too. And some singers are like that too. Some guitar players are like that too. Um, but, a, but a human, what makes us different is we can 
have a thought that's instinct survival, ah, fight or flight. But we can step outside that and go, oh, interesting, I'm fight or flighting right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting, I'm sad. Huh. We can observe our own thoughts. I don't know that animals can do that. They're in survival mode. I mean, you think your cat loves you, but really they, it's just they're just serving themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I can step outside myself and go, wow, interesting. I feel very intimidated by seeing that person in this room. Or, huh, interesting. I'm sick today. My, my, I don't have the full capacity of my voice that I typically do. My head hurts. Um, huh, interesting. I wonder how I'm going to handle this. You can step outside yourself and make a decision. You can take your own thoughts captive. Yes. So yeah. how, do you, how do you redirect your thoughts when you notice that's happening? I trust what I already know and what I already believe, which is I've done this before. This won't kill me. Right. So we get or back that to that. might be the thought. Rehearsing the mindset right. and rehearsing the skill set, the, yeah. the physical skill set. So if someone, let's just say in their, their early 20s is out there and they're starting to perform and they're getting into high pressure situations, yeah. right? They're out of their small town or wherever. And now they're mm-hmm. wherever. Um, what is an exercise that they could do to start to work on that ability to shift their mindset in the moment? I was raised by teachers. I can answer this question. Um, What they can do is they can start by observing their own thoughts from an objective standpoint. They can almost, even if it requires them to treat themselves as though they're someone else. Even, though, even if it requires them visualizing that the person they are talking to is some little kid that they're mentoring, it's not themselves. Like, how would you treat your best friend if they came to you with um, bad thoughts and they were sharing these bad thoughts? Well, you're, since you're not your best friend, since you're you and you're separate from your best friend, you can say an objective thing to your best friend. Start to treat yourself, your, start to treat your brain as different than your mind. Your mind is the old wise sage that can trump all of the bad thoughts and and come above it. Your brain is this fight or flight thing saying, high pressure situation, I hope I don't die. And you can say, you can come above that as a whole separate person. I mean, we're not splitting our personalities here. We're not bipolaring here. But you know what I'm saying? Like you can say to your little immature fight or flight self, you're gonna be okay. The worst thing that can happen is you fail. If you fail, you probably won't die. I mean, that's the worst. Or the best case scenario is you actually know what you're doing here. This high pressure situation is not that bad and you're gonna be fine. Um, and you're gonna do well. You're, in fact, you're going to ace this. And um, Great. Yeah. Okay, a couple things. Yeah. So. so you're talking about um, the mind being o- able to overcome the brain. And this comes back to what we were saying about training the mind, which is what we're trying to do here in general. Because your brain is doesn't know the difference between, like, there's a bear in the woods mm-hmm. or, like, this dude in the audience is going to hire me for gigs. It's, it's the, the same. same. It's that the All same. the research has said it's, it's the, the same. same. <laughs> it's the same. And... <laughs> The extent to which you train your mind is the only way you're going to overcome that because the brain is going to do its thing yeah. regardless without you trying. And your palms are sweaty and you didn't make your palms sweaty. It's like, right. why are they? <laughs> yeah. Right. And so being able to, to overcome that through all these mental techniques is, is where it's at for sure. Um, I wanted to 
uh, bring up this James Taylor quote. Ooh. So he was on uh, Elvis Costello used to have a TV show mm-hmm. called I can't remember what it's called, but um, I actually I saw it when it was live. This was several years ago, and I looked up this quote because I watched it with Billy, and we've talked about this many many times. And he's talking about the nature of performing uh-huh. and what you go through. And James Taylor described it like this. He said, it seems to me that the dynamic of performing is that the rigors and the exceptionally intense, personally risky, personally risky aspect of that, that's something that in a normal civilian life, I think you would experience maybe once a year or once every <laughs> other year at a job interview, or maybe if your kid makes it into the playoffs in the Little League, or if if you have an experience like that, a tax audit, or a divorce, or something like that. Mm. So to have something like that every night, and the way you feel afterwards, the exhilaration, and then the release that you feel afterwards, it's a lot of mileage to put on. I've never thought about it that way. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Wow. It's very true. And the whole emotional process that you go through from in a major show on a daily basis <laughs> like a tr- yeah, yeah you could look at it as like a traumatic so we go through a major trauma every night on tour <laughs> exactly that was true that's sometimes horrible that's so true <laughs> but <laughs> yeah but it, it you don't even have to look at it as a trauma but you look at sure. it as a uh, an intense cycle of emotion uh-huh. that's it's so intense that most people rarely even experience in their life. And we wonder why artists are so messed up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of my point. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't wonder. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but what you go through on a daily basis, yeah. and then how you absorb that and channel that in a healthy and productive way in your life. We've seen so many examples of people who have not successfully navigated <laughs> yeah. that emotional roller coaster that you go through. And yeah. so finding ways, finding like a healthy release or whatever like having some downtime you know uh, the different ways you can navigate those waters oh, of wow. like you know well there are two ways that probably i navigate those waters one way is find an outlet that's something that's that you can learn and do that's different than music mm-hmm. that you do on a regular basis because yep. music in my life is always stigmatized by something's at stake here because this is your job right um, but learning a skill that's not your job mm-hmm. is a nice way to occupy your mind without putting that pressure on. Yep. So like I found CrossFit in my life. That's why I do it. Yep. Yes, I'm that. Yes, I'm one of the weird ones. And I do it um, on a daily basis pretty much. And it requires my mind to learn something and my body to learn something that um, is not pressureful for me because I'm not a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I were an athlete, that'd be totally different. But um, since I'm not, I'm just learning this skill and I'm occupying my mind and it's making me smarter and stronger. Um, the other way I combat that is, see James Taylor's quote, to, to, to come at it from a different angle, t- the stage has become normal. It's not right. the big trauma that I described it as right. every time. I mean, maybe at first it was, but you know, to me, it's just another day at work. Right. And if you can, now that takes away the mystique and the, and the glamor of it. Um, I don't find my career all that glamorous <laughs> because I do it every day. Well, that comes back to what I said in the very yeah. beginning that you're so comfortable on stage. Yeah. And it's very relaxed and easy. Right. And um, so th- it's one, y- there still is an excitement to it that yeah. is ir- that I wouldn't trade for anything. Really. I do love this. But um, 
you know what? When you're doing this day in, day out, it's normal. And it's not a trauma every night. It's not a major right, hype right. every night. And you just you just do it every day. Um, right. For the most part. Yeah. For the most part. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. I was turning just a little bit yeah. off this, this road. Uh, books. Are you an active reader? I'm a pretty active reader, yeah. Any impactful books in the past six months or a year that, that maybe somebody out there... That have anything to do with anything? Any books? Something that's impacted you. Uh, right now I'm reading When Helping Hurts, How to Help Eradicate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. Very cool. Um, it's totally off topic, but mm. it's impacting me heavily right now. How? Because um, wow. I want to know how... I deeply, I care about the fact that most of the world is living below the poverty line and mm -hmm. I care about that, but I want to, and I want to have a part in how that may change, um, but I need some wisdom because we have, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot more to it than throwing money at something sure, you get that could even problem. hurt, that could even cause more issues, more pain. Um, so yeah, that's impacting me a lot. Um, what else have I been reading lately? Um, well, I've read a lot of books that have helped me in the past. I've read um, Boundaries by Henry Cloud. That's really helped me in the past, mm -hmm. just relationally. Mm -hmm. um, learning that I can't control others. That's, a, that's what that book taught me more than anything, um, that I can only control myself and, and that I can control myself was, was very empowering to learn from that book. There's a book that you recommended to me not long ago that I ordered and haven't started reading. Keep it. your love on. Keep your love on. Same, similar yeah. vein to the boundaries book. Very yeah. similar vein. You can still be okay when others aren't. Mm -hmm. um, you can still love other people when they're unlovable. Um, that kind of stuff. I have um, that book sitting in my stack of. Yeah. I'll bring Once it you her. start, it will be. You'll finish it quick. Cool. It's a it's a pretty quick easy read. Um, that's by Danny Silk. Yes. Uh, yeah. Keep your love on by Danny Silk. Um, yeah, I'm a big reader. I've read a lot of fiction, too. Um, oh, there's this Spanish author that wrote this contemporary Spanish literature. I gotta go find it. You put me on the spot. I didn't have my book list on me. But, yeah, I read a lot. Cool. All right, and what, uh, kind of getting towards the end here, uh, practical advice or, you know, any sage wis wisdom for... Uh, Artists or anybody out there trying to trying to improve their game at whatever they're doing, uh, where would you like to lead them? I think if I just would have known that failure doesn't kill you and that it's okay to fail and that failure shouldn't be something to fear, that is what I would want to leave with, it, with people. And that and failure really... In a way, you should want it because that's how you're going to learn and grow. Absolutely. If you have the right mindset for it. Yeah. Fear of failure is a total waste of time. You won't get anything done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Um, well, this has been a remarkably good conversation oh, for our pilot episode here, launching into the world of the unknown. Uh, where can people find you? On the socials. They can find everything at AubreyLogan.com that will lead you to the Twitters and the Instagrams and the Facebooks. There's a mailing list on there so and a tour schedule so you can come find me in person. And then when they come see you live, they get a two-for-one. 
they get you and they get they get Dave. Dave. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes, they do. We have some LA shows in we December. Do. Some Christmas shows. Chris, three Christmas shows in a row in LA in December. Um, the twenty second is in Seal Beach at Spagatini, and then they're not on the website yet, but they will be on the twenty. 21st and 20th. I went backwards. 20th and 21st at Vitello's in Studio City for Christmas. But we're going to be all around the East Coast. And we'll be in San Diego on October 20th. San Diego on October Another 20th. somewhat local show. Yep. So all of that's on the website. That's assuming this podcast comes out before October 20th. <laughs> that's assuming, <laughs> isn't it? But where, so can, are we still on Facebook Live? Sure. Yep. Um, oh, yeah, that's I right. I have we're questions on my Facebook about how it. they can find the podcast once it's, once it's out, what are you guys going to do with it? I would say that we, all messaging will go through our social medias. So uh, our Facebook channel, and if you're watching this, then you know where we are. Yep. Uh, and then on our Instagram handle, which is the same Musician Mindset Podcast. Yep. At Musician Mindset Podcast. Right. Cool. So we'll be we'll be making the announcements of where you can go and find all this stuff at that point. Yep. And we have some other cool things planned in the future. So there. But yeah, we did want to take some questions from your oh. fans. Yeah. Right. Okay. Go for it, Dave. Anything good? Um, no, there's nothing. Okay. <laughs> we didn't have one yours. Uh, I haven't I looked. On the, uh, I haven't looked. Okay. Do, 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 do. Nope. I don't uh, see. Some people ask questions, but we don't. Oh have well. Anything, so. Everybody's coffee break right. is right. over. Boss came around. That's right. Lost <laughs> opportunity there. People. Stop it. <laughs> okay. Good. So Aubrey, thank yes. you for thank being here. You. This was awesome. Thank we you, learned Jason. a lot, and I think our audience is better for it. I think. I hope so. Do Thank you for being here. Thanks for having mm-hmm. me. I can't <laughs> wait to see where this podcast goes. This is going to be great. Onwards and upwards. All right. We'll see you guys later. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Musician Mindset Podcast with Dave Johnstone and Jason Land. You can contact the show through Facebook and Instagram at Musician Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a written review and a five-star rating on iTunes.